With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy Happy Game Week. Happy Game Week. It is, uh, is the longest offseason in sports, and yet uh, it actually went by fairly quickly. I feel like the, uh, and without getting into it, the uh, perpetual hell that we're in on a daily basis really helps the time go by, Dan. I feel like this offseason went by as quick as a flash. Yeah, I mean, we, we bring it up a decent amount. Like, there seem to be an increased number of storylines and just uh, things that take over the offseason. Um, so, hope everyone's ready. I know I am. I, uh, I've got everything I could possibly need for a, a fall bunkered down here in the living room. Uh, I know that my dog James has his jersey ready to go. I've got all the SU gear I could need and all the beer I could need. Um, And yeah, for those listening, we're going to get to the game against Central Connecticut State um, in the second half of the podcast. We're going to talk some other SU matters um, in the first half. Figure this will be the only week that we're really kind of not 100% focused on the game coming up just because it is Central Connecticut. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but Dan, I, I don't know about you, I feel pretty confident here. Um, far more confident than I did even before the Villanova game, and we all know how that ended out. Um, I'm, I'm again without getting into the specifics. This is the most confident I felt going into a season, and at least for the first game in quite a while. Yeah, I mean, even like when we had Villanova or Stony Brook or like Maine or good. some of those other teams. Yeah, we had a tendency of scheduling pretty good uh, FCS teams. Um, this is not one of them. Um, Central Connecticut was two and nine last year. They were one and five in the in the brutal NEC. Um, they're just they're not you know it's just not a strong uh, it's not a team that's enough to contend for a playoff spot in all likelihood this year. Obviously, I don't pretend to be an expert on the Central Connecticut Blue Devils, despite being oh, a I Central do. Connecticut <laughs> despite being a Central Connecticut uh, legacy um, and a Central Connecticut football legacy actually. Yeah. Um, my dad played quarterback there back in the. 70s 60s huh. 60s um but yeah uh not um a team that i have any real fears about i think this will probably uh dead away from them pretty quick agreed agreed um so yeah i guess jumping into non-central connecticut matters first and foremost um torian thompson left and a lot of people are pretty pissed off about that i understand why but i also think that these things happen, and SU has a penchant for stupid things happening in recent seasons. Um, things have turned out all right for, for Syracuse basketball, things considered. Um, as much as it would have been probably great for him to have handled it differently, I'm not going to sit here and rake the kid over the coals uh, no matter what happened. I, I think that if Seton Hall's a better fit, it's a better fit. Um, Jim Beheim's been through this quite a few times. I, I feel like he's going to figure out a solution here. Yeah, and I have to imagine that Jim Beheim didn't find out about this on uh, on Monday or Tuesday, whenever that was. Um, 
it's frustrating in that we were kind of blindsided by it. I, I guess there were rumors out there, and I'm sure if you were on like message boards or whatever, which I am less and less, uh, you were probably more privy to it than the rest of us. Um, but the again, like you said, I, I'm not going to blame anyone for trying to do what they feel is best for their future. Whether or not you know us as Syracuse fans think it's the best for his future, it's, it's largely irrelevant. Um, you know, we, I'm pretty sure we all think, oh, Torian was. Uh, burgeoning is probably one of the two or three best players on the team next year and, and was going to have a huge role, and that's fine. I, I don't think Torian Thompson was unaware of that or whomever else was uh, part of this decision was unaware of that, but they they determined that Seton Hall uh, was the best fit, um, assuming that's where he does end up. I, I don't think that's official yet. Yeah, um, not official, but I, I think enough people... I mean, every, everything's yeah. pointing there, and they, they happen to have a scholarship open up like the same day, which is, you know, fun. Surprise. Um, yeah, who, who knew this would happen? Um, I, I imagine this was in the works for a bit. Uh, again, this is like, I guess, one of the situations where having someone like Jim Beheim is uh, probably good because he's, you know, pretty unflappable generally about these types of things, and he, he didn't seem super stunned with that uh, release he put out. So best of luck to him. It's disappointing. Um, it makes me feel a lot worse about the season, to be honest. But uh, like you said, I... I don't find it uh, appropriate to judge some, you know, an 18 or 19 year old for his college decisions because uh, that's just gross. So we'll see what happens. We have a, luckily we have some months of football ahead of us before we have to uh, worry about the realities of maybe facing a third straight or a second straight uh, NCAA tournamentless season. Yeah. I'm not excited about that prospect, but you know, like, Fans also, like fans, us included, you know, need to look at, you know, remember like going into last year, like Tyler Lydon put up modest numbers, but numbers that we thought would translate to bigger numbers as a sophomore. Um, we, we kind of extrapolated out. We expected huge things. He was probably our best player, but nonetheless, he didn't necessarily, you know, light the world on fire in the way that we thought. And, and that uh, coupled with, you know, multiple other factors were why we didn't make the NCAA tournament. Um, Torian Thompson put up even lesser numbers than, uh, than Tyler Lydon. Thompson was more efficient offensively. Defensively, he was far worse than, than Lydon. And, and we actually thought Lydon was a fairly competent uh, defensive player in the zone. I know that there were the, the, the things we were joking about around the NBA draft, that he was some terrible defensive player suddenly. Um, but yeah, I think that Thompson likely would have made the strides necessary um, with more minutes and another year under his belt, but um, to, to just expect that he was suddenly going to become, you know, a second leading scorer and a guy that went from scoring about nine points a game in 17 minutes to someone who could, you know, score 15 to 17 and, and, and double that. It's not to say it's far-fetched, but it's also to say that, like, there are no guarantees there. These are still, you know, kids in their late teens, early 20s. A lot can happen. Um, and again, if you're, if you're on Jim Beheim's team, you're not going to play defense um, other than that stretch from, like, 04 to 08, like, I don't really know how you're going to survive, um, you know, in the Syracuse basketball program. I don't, I don't wish any ill will on Torian. Again, wish it handled differently, but not going to begrudge somebody for making the decision that's right for them and right for their life and their family and all that. Um, Syracuse, as a result, though, is going to lean on some freshmen uh, this year, probably a little bit more than they thought. Um, I think Matt Moyer was a guy that a lot of us thought would, would, kind of come in off the bench, be a bit of a six-man. Now, I think him, O'Shea Brissett in particular, I think the two of them um, at the forward spot, suddenly uh, spotlight's really on them, I think a lot more than maybe we want, but that doesn't mean that they're going to fail. 
Yeah, Moyer is definitely the uh, the guy I think that we're going to point to since he's been in the system for a year. Um, he was a very highly touted recruit. He uh, not really a similar player to Thompson, but he's going to probably fill like the same role generally. I don't think he's quite as like a, a low post guy. Um, I think he's probably a little more of a slasher, or a, a natural wing, but he's probably still going to play some of the four just because that's what the the roster right now dictates. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, it, it's it's disappointing. I was very bullish on Torian. I thought he would have a very nice year, but there's nothing saying that he you know would have had a star turn or that you know oh he was garbage anyway, which I'm sure. If you go into certain corners of the internet, I'm sure we're getting, like, uh, launch screeds on how bad his defense actually was. Um, you can go so, into our corner of the internet and you'll find that. There, fair enough. Um, <laughs> not not so, from me, but but it's there. I have no doubts. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, there's nothing also to say that Matt Moyer won't be, like, a, a really good player as a redshirt freshman. And um, I do think I was talking to someone about this yesterday. Um I do think the best thing that, that we could hope for uh, with our program right now is to, to get some of this like momentum back and get the fans calmed down. Um, if we wanted to land another player for 2018, that'd be nice. Uh, I think uh, with Baisley coming in and being one of our highest-rated recruits in a long time, um, if Syracuse puts together like a, a recruiting class that we have missed for like the last two or three years, I think that will quell a lot of nerves. And then, you know, this this is also not, not to say that we can't go and have a surprising year next year. It's not like Syracuse hasn't done that myriad times uh, when people didn't think very much of the team. Just because last year uh, there were questions about the team and, and it fell short doesn't mean that'll happen necessarily again. So um, I'm not ready to like jump off the roof or anything. It's definitely uh, disappointing and, and I'm definitely a little more pessimistic than I was, but um, it's we, I want to see this team play first before I decide that like the, the, the roof is caving in and we need to start uh, making these giant swings to figure out what to do in the future. Yeah, and you know what, like going into last season, I mean, a couple games in, it seemed like, you know, th- this was th- this was a freight train that wasn't stopping anywhere. It seemed like, you know, we had Gillen and, and in particular White were, were in the flow right away. The team seemed like it was led by, you know, some youth, but but a lot of veterans, guys like Leiden who had been in the system. Like last year, a couple games in, we were thinking like this is going to be a tournament team. We're headed right back to the same heights we reached the season before and like look how that year turned out um in the early uh, going we didn't necessarily see the defensive struggles the struggles really getting you know white and gillen assimilated into the zone getting battle assimilated into the zone a little bit and into the offense like i'm not going to worry about that yet i think that again like we have a lot of young pieces we have guys who can take strides like i think Tyus battle Based on play last year and based on how much exposure he got, I feel like he was more likely than than Thompson to be able to to blow up a little bit this season. Um, so I, I'm still really excited to see what he brings to the table. Uh, I'm still really excited to see what Geno Thorpe, the USF transfer, brings to the table. Like I know there's a lot of folks who who were, were very anti-transfer all year last year, despite the fact that Andrew White led us in scoring. Um, you know, Thorpe has the chance to do something similar. Uh, for Syracuse this year um, I don't really we'll see on the defensive end but you know I don't think White was a huge defensive stopper either um, but you know we'll, we'll see we really don't know you know how these kids are going to gel together how they're going to gel together within the system there's just so many assumptions and I like you I'm kind of just I'm going to wait this one out obviously I'm going to weigh in a little bit going into the season we do have a tough non-conference schedule and a tough scheduling conference as always but um 
I'm I'm not I'm not selling the season up the river just because you know one rising sophomore left um, when we do have I, I think you know the beginnings of more depth than we've had in a couple of years. Yeah, we are. That, the one thing is we are like working our scholarship numbers back into uh, form, and that should portend to things down the road. Even if this year we're still like a little bit lean at the top of the roster, um, generally like we're going to bring in some big classes. Hopefully. Um, I'm fine going in on the ultra all on the transfer market because other teams are not going to stop doing it. So um, obviously you could be worried about how guys in their first year, like Thorpe, like White last year, Dylan obviously was probably uh, slightly outside of the box of what we usually get for guards, whether or not they're transfers. But uh, you could worry about how they fit into the zone right away. But uh, as long as other teams are going to sit here and pick off top players from other programs, uh, from smaller programs largely. Uh, I'm not going to say that Syracuse should just not do that and and roll the dice with, you know, just the normal uh, 2008 rules of of play here. Um, if there's a good player that wants to come to Syracuse and he's a junior, I'm gonna take the I'm gonna work under the assumption that he can figure out how to play passable zone defense. So um, I don't think that was the problem. I don't think the team was and, and this is so stupid that we're even uh, discussing this. I don't think the team was worse last year for having Andrew White on it. <laughs> no, I I would completely agree. And yeah, like. You know, even if this year is a little bit of some treading water, like, I mean, God forbid we don't make the tournament again, it really wouldn't be ideal. But uh, assuming we come close, I don't think it's really going to impact like, the guys that, that we're already, you know, high on and they're high on us. Like, we've already got Elijah Hughes in from ECU, and he'll wait, sit this year, and then play next year. Uh, assuming Darius Baisley ends up on campus, that's a huge recruit for us. Um, the, you know, Ohio State flip, you know, after that model left. We're targeting Jalen Carey. We have, you know, Buddy Bayheim coming into the fold. Um, there's potential spots. Probably. For, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I would be shocked if not. Like, there, there's potential for, for some other, you know, highly regarded kids in the 2018 class. Th- th- this class could really remind us a lot of, you know, I mean, ho- hopefully with better results, but, uh, you know, the Dynasty class or, or some of those classes after that that really came in with, you know, four or so like bona fide starters. Um, so yeah, I, again, I, I'm optimistic. I'm not going to sell this team short um, when there are a lot of proven pieces left, um, even if we did lose a significant amount of scoring. Yep. So uh, it's, you know, I think it's going to take a, a little bit for us to, to really figure out what this team is. Cause I mean, we, as we've said before, like we've come into seasons where we didn't think much was going to happen and we've been very pleasantly surprised last year. I think we were all very high on the team heading in, um, and obviously things did not go the way we planned. So yeah. uh, I didn't buy my Syracuse to win the national championship uh, ticket at, in Vegas this year. I did last <laughs> year. So maybe that'll be, maybe that'll turn things around for us. Just, that was a like 50 buck hole in my pocket that uh, got burned through pretty quickly after I felt very good about the like 75 to one odds or whatever I got them at because they hadn't adjusted for white yet. I mean, they're hundred to one right now, I think, are they? Or are they 150? I think they're 100, but that's like that's like just one of those generic groupings where they don't really know what to make of those teams. Yeah, I mean honestly, I, I'd still take those odds. I'd, I'd put 15, 20 bucks down on that, just for the hell of it. Um, alas, uh, moving on a little bit to football as we gradually get to game chat. Um, Dan, you and I were talking kind of extensively in the uh, New Magician Slack today about um, what goes on with the uh, uniform situation. And the fact that Syracuse will once again be opening up with uh, minimal orange. At least last year they wore orange jerseys. This year, not so much. Um, 
and why now in year you know four of this set we, we have for some reason just avoided orange almost entirely yeah um we we, we brought this up like what, what was it, 11 of 36 games? Yes. Uh, there was no orange worn whatsoever in for the Syracuse Orange. Like, it's just silly. Well, it just, it, I mean, it, it speaks to how, how poorly the last four years of uniforms have been rolled out. Like, and uh, I mentioned this in a piece for tomorrow, which will be today for those listening. Um, you know, going back to 2013, we started transitioning away from orange more towards blue. We rolled out those stupid color fade Jacksonville Jaguars helmets that were just awful, and yet we wore them almost every week. And we never got the orange jersey that like was clearly they were screaming for. Right. Like, why are you doing a color fade jersey when then your a color fade helmet when your jersey is this the the color that the helmet faded out of already? Right. Yeah. It's that never made any sense. Then when, when we actually got the new set in 2014, the color fade helmet left. So again, like I don't know why you had a color fade helmet for like six games. Um, and then by the at this point we can say it like the stupidity of the old athletic department. Like you know the orange the orange elements other than the orange helmets were, were not accounted for or ordered on time. So therefore um, there were no orange jerseys or orange pants available for the entirety of the 2014 season. And, they were on the ship. Yeah, they were on a ship. That's why we went three and nine. Uh, somehow that ship took a full year to get there. Um, I want the oral history of that ship. I like that. That was like that was some like Christopher Columbus like length <laughs> sailing from from I'm guessing Asia somewhere like to get to Syracuse, New York. Like, did they, were they, were they taken on horse and buggy across the United States? Had to have been. I. I can't wait to write the book one day of just all, all the stories and all the info from, from the gross uh, era. I, I already had the working title of uh, Gross Incompetence, How Syracuse Lost Its Soul <laughs> from 2004 to, you know, 2013. That, that'll be a fun book to write once I get around to it. Yeah, the thing that annoyed me, like, most was that when those jerseys dropped, like, obviously the jerseys that we have have some, some issues. They, there are parts of them that look very stupid, um, but there were some interesting combinations. I remember putting together a really sh- stupid thing in Microsoft Paint with like all the different potential combinations, and we didn't even touch on like how many orange jersey combos that we have we worn. Like, I think like one. I don't, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, why if if you're gonna do this and you're gonna have all these helmets and all these pants and all these jerseys, either you know mix and match and find some that work, or or just do a new one every week and figure it out. But like. They just like went halfway. They found like the ugliest possible ones to repeat. They 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 ride like all like two blues, uh, but they they ride like blue uh, helmets and jerseys or blue jerseys and pants, and then it throws off like any kind of symmetry or uh, just anything interesting you could do with the combos that we have. And then you you know occasionally you have a really cool looking one. I think we've worn like orange helmet, white jersey, orange pants like once, maybe twice, and that's like one of the better ones we have available. So it's yeah. just like. It's super frustrating. Like, there were some decent jersey combos. I think, like, blue-orange-blue is a pretty decent look. I think maybe we've worn that one once. So, we've like, worn that one, like, once or twice. Orange-blue-orange is the classic look, and I wish we would just, like, use that as the primary. Yeah, and if that was the base and we wore that two or three times a year, that'd be great. We've worn that, like... I think we wore that the first couple times, and maybe we've worn it, like, once or twice since. So it's... There, there are good looks in there, or at least, you know, the best possible looks, and they're just underutilized, but instead we get blue-blue-orange, or... 
What was a really ridiculous one? Um, uh, well, there was the... Blue-blue-white? Blue-blue-white is the worst because they also paired it with a white face mask. Oh, God, that was so bad. I'm looking at it now because I have, like, the, the SU issue of Athlon sitting on my table. And on the front is Eric Dungey from the Notre Dame game in, in the, the blue-blue-white nonsense. Um, I do like the all-white, like, Stormtrooper look. I know that not everyone does. I'm fine with that one um, as, as a road look. We were actually... It's one of the only looks that we have like a 500 or so record in somehow. Um, I think one of the other, I mean, the other problem is like, you know, you look at all these nationally televised games, like we pick like the dumbest looks for them. Like the Clemson game, we've typically gone like mostly blue. Um, The Notre Dame game a couple of years ago, we went with platinum. We obviously wore platinum, at least with orange helmets um, against Virginia Tech last year. But now, you know, anytime you want to, talk about Syracuse or visualize Syracuse in the last couple of years, if you're a non-fan, uh, the platinum uniforms now come to mind as, as one of the first you know, images in your head. Um, yeah, th- there's just a lot of, there's a lot of puzzling decisions. Um, I know Dino Babers late today uh, hinted at, you know, new uniforms inbound. I don't know if that's going to be a full season drop or just like a one-off game or, or a special edition. Or, I, I, I don't know, but Whatever it is, I just hope A, like the focal point is orange ish, and B, like it, it veers away from this uniform set because I, I, at this point, I can't stand it. And I think a lot of it is because, like you said, it's just, it was so underutilized. It's not necessarily that the elements were bad on their own. It's just, you look at Arizona State and other schools like that that have these interchangeable pieces, and we have that too. And yet, we, we've, we're the only school that just has no idea how to, how to put them in, in place. Yeah, like, I know you you have, like, your issues with Oregon. At least Oregon has a strategy with their uniforms. Oh, of course. Like, some of them suck, and some of them are, are kind of cool, and, like, a lot of it's, like, you either like them or you hate them. But Oregon is very good about knowing exactly what they're going to do. They have a new jersey every game. Uh, they model them. They have a new website for every jersey for every game. They roll them out uh, at this pretty much the same time every week. You know exactly what you're getting. Syracuse... Uh, uses either like a brand new look or goes back to a bad old look uh, and you don't know when they're going to do what. Um, they or don't announce, tell you. Yeah, they don't tell you when they're going to announce it. I also mentioned in the post today, like they, they announced today's from the Q's football recruiting feed. <laughs> yeah, which is announced at the same place every time. Like, right, like roll they, it out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook on the same accounts every week at the same time. Yeah, the Q's Please. football feed every Wednesday or Thursday. That's fine. Like pick, pick the day. Like for, I remember like one season it was the equipment manager feed. Last year, like, Dino tweeted it twice, and then, like, it was on the Q's football feed another five times, and it was somewhere else. Like, just just be consistent. It's like a damn scavenger hunt. Like, right. Like, pe- people want to talk about your program. People want to know about your program. Just share the information. It's, it's not that hard. Uh, but, yeah, like, you know, Oregon, to me, is, like, the, the, the far extreme. And, and while I don't need a different jersey every, every week or a different website for it, I don't even need it more than, like, a week in advance. But, like, I mean— a lot of schools now are doing the the advance notice and getting people excited. Like I said, I mentioned Arizona State as as kind of a prime example that they have something similar to us. They have you know four different colors: they have yellow, the maroon, the black, and the white. And they interchange those looks and they announce them right at the beginning of the season. And they use all of them. You know, they'll have a blackout, they'll have a whiteout. Like they'll they'll, they'll do they'll create something around the games. For us, it's just the uniforms are just like. Just a, 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 I feel like it's an unnecessary just to us. It's it feels like an unnecessary part of of the brand experience when it should be an essential part of it. Yeah, it's like it's like it's a chore for them to figure out what to do with them. Um, and even like even the parts that we don't like, like the uh, the the 
platinum gray ugly ones that we have, which we've worn just the one time, right? Just the Notre Dame game? Well, then we wore them last year. When did we wear them last year? The Vatek game. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we should wear this now. But, like, <laughs> if there's a decent look with those, it's with the orange helmets and orange pants. So that the dull gray jersey is, like, has other stuff popping off of it, even though the dull gray jersey should have orange numbers, and that's the main par- problem with it, even if you, you know, it, it, apart from the fact that gray's not one of our colors. But we haven't even done that. We wear them with blues so that everything's dull. So we just look like a weird creative team from uh, NCAA 2008. Um, yeah, it's just frustrating, uh, as you can tell from John and my voice, um, because there is potential, and we have a good color scheme, and we have a signature color that we are named after and can't seem to focus on that, which it, it's, it's like branding. I get it can be hard in some ways, like, Branding Syracuse as the orange and then wearing orange is not a difficult uh, thing to wrap your head around. You can trip and fall into success there. Like, if, if we're going to have this much trouble with a complex uniform set, I would almost rather go back to the Maroon era where th- th- there, there was no variation. You either, had the, you either had the blues or you had the whites, and that was it. Like, and I, I really enjoyed that uniform set. I thought it was a nice compromise with modernizing the old-school McNabb era look. Um, I know when I polled the audience on Twitter today, a lot of people were, were big fans of the, uh, the old 90s look, and, and I brought it up there, and I, and I brought it up in the article about that too. Um, while I agree it was a good look and it was an iconic look for the time, um, I don't think you can have a blank helmet today unless you're you know, Army or Notre Dame, so that BC, I think that they're screwed by that quite a bit. Um, I don't think that you can... I think that that was a very clear 90s look, but I also think that the... the the, the positive association, the positive vibes that a lot of people put on those uniforms are a product of, of how we played during them. And, and, you know, maybe for me, like, the the positive vibes around the Maroon jerseys are are in part brought on by how we did relatively well under Maroon. Like, you know, that's, that's, how, that's how memory works. That's how emotions work, where, where you associate how you feel with how you, with something you saw, something you heard. So, like... I know it's tough for our fans sometimes to like reason with like how, how we meet in the middle between old traditions and, and new things that have to happen for recruiting purposes and branding purposes. But like we can't have those exact uniforms and I hope everybody's okay with the fact that we're not, we're, we're never going to. Yeah. I mean, that's just not how things work. Like maybe you uh, at some point get like a throwback that's like reminiscent, kind of like, I mean, even the 2012 jerseys like were the same general idea with not, well, not being exactly those, um, I'm fine with like people who are very attached to um, kind of that whole old uh, scheme, but we're never going to get like just straight up return to 1987 jerseys. I mean, I love the drop shadow. Don't get me wrong. Like, th- th- there's a lot of fun elements, but again, it's 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 from a bygone era. You can't you can't roll those out anymore. And like anyone sitting around, and you know, this is this is a product of kind of our fan base being a little bit older and and just the part of the country we're in, like. Anyone sitting around going, like, we should look like Penn State, we should look like Alabama, we should look like all these other, like, very simple, streamlined teams, like, those teams can be that way because they have a tradition of success in those uniforms, therefore you associate it with success. Like, for us, like, we're just kind of skipping the part where we win and then, like, just saying, like, oh, well, let's just go as simple and streamlined as possible. Like, if we have a really plain jersey, Syracuse Athletics is going to suffer, Syracuse football is going to suffer. Um, as a result, like Syracuse basketball can get away with simple jerseys. The way the ones they have right now are, are pretty simple. 
but because you associate those uniforms and that simple look with success, it works for them. It doesn't work for football, and we can't just rest on some some you know backwards idea that you know SU's tradition um, of success that at this point it, we're you know almost two decades removed from um, holds any water with, with with recruits and is going to excuse you know what's going to be perceived to, to eighteen and nineteen year old kids as a lame uniform design. Yeah, and like while this isn't like the biggest thing, um, obviously there are much bigger factors like. It is a slight recruiting advantage when you have uniforms that kids like. And, like, you can get a recruit to talk himself into, like, Penn State's uniforms or Oregon's uniforms. Like, it, it, there are pros and cons to both. But you do want to have something that is a signature look, whether it's classic or whether it's, like, outlandish and new. Um, Syracuse is not accomplished either. Right. <laughs> so uh, hopefully we can get to a point where something that we do works. Uh, whether it's just having the same classic look at some point, which... I don't think there's enough attached to the brand to do that. Or you have, uh, you know, a cool-looking modern uniform, which is what we tried to do and didn't quite get to. So uh, just get something that people are happy with. And, you know, you're never going to make everyone thrilled because there will be the, the blue hairs who want to see the 1987 jerseys. And there will be, um, you know, 14-year-old kids who want to see uh, Orange Oregon. But, like, get somewhere where everyone can be, you know, relatively proud of what they're watching. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I, I think if, to be honest, if they just tweak like some of the stupid like numbers and some of the angling crap in the current uniforms, and maybe like incorporate some nods to the past, I, I think the current uniform set can can be altered in a way that that suits everybody. But it just it does kind of seem like everyone's all or nothing on this, and that's disappointing in, in, in many ways to me. But par for the course, I, I, I suppose. Very much so. Uh, uniforms, do, they do move the needle, for, if nothing else. Like, you will get people talking if you bring up uniforms. Indeed, indeed. Um, all right. Why well, do a little halftime, and then we will get into the uh, Central Connecticut State game. So, uh, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, I had another pretty good drinking week. I'm trying to find where I left off from last week. Um so I had a pretty interesting one from Blue Point, their Beach Plum Droza, which uh, was pretty good. Like, I didn't know really what to expect from Beach Plum, and I can't tell you that it was like a super distinct flavor, but it was a very solid Droza overall, um, and I'm not usually the biggest Blue Point fan all the time. Um, I had Grimm's Double Dry Hopped Lumen, which was absolutely delicious, uh, very uh, hoppy, uh, juicy IPA. Um, I had Susan from Hill Farmstead. Uh, Hill Farmstead always does great work. Um, Susan's not my favorite from them, but it's, it's very good, and there are very few times where I'm going to do find Hill Farmstead and not have one. Uh, and then I had Week 52 from Industrial Arts, uh, another really good effort from them. They're kind of quickly becoming one of my favorite breweries when I when I can find them. Um, and then I forgot to uh, check in the one, but I had the Raspberry Sour from... Uh, I'm trying to find it now. Uh, it's single cut, the Raspberry Kim, I think. Hmm. I will, I will put it on uh, Untapped now. But it's uh, they do really good sour work, even though that's not like really their forte. They're more of an IPA, you know, uh, IPA spot. But their sours are quite good. Uh, it's a Kim Red Raspberry Sour Lager, um, which I've had a number of times and I've mentioned on here before. But that one popped up. Um, it's it's like very sour, but it's. Uh, the flavor is really good, and uh, I, I ride for single cut all the time. So, um, she had a pretty solid week overall, I'd say. Fair enough. Uh, I kept it pretty easy. 
this past weekend just because I was up in San Francisco last week during the week, so I figured let's balance that out. A um, couple things I had. I had a growler of uh, Monkish's, one of Monkish's latest double IPAs, Atomically. Um, pretty good hot bill. I don't have it on hand, but uh, it wasn't pretty enjoyable. I had it over the weekend. Um, also grabbed a uh, Stone Ripper. Uh, they're pretty good pale ale. You can find most places around here, at least. Uh, had Strand, uh, which is a local Torrance brewery. They're 24th Street Pale Ale. Uh, and that was really it. So, Dan, you uh, beat me out on this week. One of them in column. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I really think I'm going to have a ton this weekend either, to be honest. I think, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit lighter on the beer. I mean, I'm still going to drink beer, but it's going to be a little bit lighter on that front. Um, between the game on Friday and then, you know, I'll probably just end up at a random sports bar um, for some of the uh, Saturday night games and all that. But we'll see. I'm, uh, I'm optimistic uh, about the success for this weekend on multiple fronts. Yes, I don't think we'll any of us will lose beer drinking. <laughs> I also don't think we're going to lose football, so it works out. Yeah. Um, okay, so now, Dan, we are officially in pregame mode. This is, this is the moment everyone, especially you and I, have been waiting for. Um, Syracuse will face Central, Central Connecticut State on Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, if you're not going to the Carrier Dome, you will be subjected to watching it on ACC Network Extra, which is just the nice way to say watch ESPN. Um, this aspect of the ACC Network transition period is going to be really frustrating for fans uh, because instead of getting games on regional networks like MSG or Nesson or anything like that, you're just going to be subjected to uh, online broadcasts. So the moral of the story is be better at football, I guess. That's the easiest way to solve like most problems is to just be better at football. This is true. Also, as a, as a quick aside, I was having this discussion with two uh, friends that work at the Worldwide Leader I won't disclose their names, um, not that I think I'm getting them in trouble or anything, but we were discussing who will be the inevitable cast for the ACC version of College Game Day slash SEC Nation. Um, <laughs> you know what? I feel like Anish could be like a, a sleeper pick there. Like as, as the Reese Davis, yeah, uh, like formerly he, Chris Fowler. That'd, yeah, be good. that'd be good. He seems like somebody... Um, I just hope they don't like dive all in on the ACC network folks. Um, uh, like all those, know. all the digital network folks and like all the people that are on like the game of the week. Oh yeah, I don't know. Because like most of those I, I people figured... don't really give a shit about Syracuse. <laughs> yeah, like the obvious one would have been Danny Cannell, but he's obviously gone. Yeah, he's gone. Um, um, maybe Joey Galloway. Galloway, maybe Clinton Portis does a pretty good job on the digital network. Yeah, I could see him coming over. He's a name. And like um, uh, Jeff Fischel does a really good job on their digital stuff too i i feel like jeff would would almost definitely be like one of the main folks but yeah they, they, they need like a really big like non-acc name to like grab people yeah like that's the thing is like there's a weird dearth of like like i feel like there should be someone from like those miami teams that's like around and portis i guess is one yeah but there's no one i could really think of that isn't already doing something like pretty big you think they'd bre- what about uh what about dari that could work. Because he's down in Charlotte. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me either as, as like, the, the host. There are a lot of good host options, because ESPN's, like, filthy with hosts, but I'm just wondering who the panel's going to be. Right. And who's, who's going to be the, who's going to be the, I guess, like, SC Nation doesn't really have a Corso. I guess Feinbaum 
not really. Yeah. He's just like the old guy, and I don't know if that's fair to make that the equation. Also, like I'm not uh, gonna really watch that anyway. Oh, I'll probably never watch it. But we were just having a discussion. It was kind of fun to to think of because that is happening. Because that you right. know they'll have one of those shows. Well, they have to. I mean, the, the the big problem with one of those shows though for for the ACC versus like the Big Ten and the SEC is that there isn't the collectivism and there isn't like the atmosphere. So, like, you can't just have it at, like, FSU, Clemson every week. Are you saying you don't want to have, like, ACC Nation at uh, BC hosting Wake Forest? <laughs> I mean, you and I have been, both been to Wake, and, like, that would be the most underwhelming experience. The only way I, would, I think it would be good is if you had the, uh, like, all the weird Wake mascot variations, like, circling it the whole time. That'd be fair. Um, On the motorcycles. NC State could actually be a good time. Yeah, because NC State will really go get into it. Like their fans will will take it as an opportunity to show that they're um, something. Yeah. <laughs> like, which Proving we know grants. they are. Yeah. They'll, they'll uh, it'll it'll probably turn grant. into a lot of a lot of signs that are just straight conspiracy theories oh, about 100%. UNC. <laughs> <laughs> it'll look it'll look like you won't be quite sure if you're watching like a, a college game day variation or an Infowars show, show but. <laughs> You'll be somewhere, and it'll be somewhere down the, between those two. <laughs> oh god, it's like I mean, like if Pitt had it, like you'd see like mostly Steelers jerseys. Oh, hundred percent. Like, like almost entirely Steelers jerseys. Even us, like I don't really don't think we'd like do that great of a job with it. No, we we started doing a decent job with basketball when Game Day came around after I was there, but like there were a couple times where it was pretty lean before that apparently. It was pretty great, the Villanova game in like 2000. That was excellent. Yeah, we had a really big crowd for that. 2010, that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I don't necessarily know if we do football too well just because, you know, the parking issues, the traffic issues, the leaf raking issues. There's just so many, there's so many things that would prevent us from really showing up for that. So many leaves. So many, so many leaves, so little time. Um, those apples aren't going to pick themselves, Dan. Beacon Stiff is only open on Syracuse College Ball Saturdays, so... <laughs> It's a really weird strategy by them. Oh, man. People are going to be so pissed about this. Anyway, um, so the game itself. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that thing that Brent tweeted earlier, that uh, CCSU's quarterback, uh, Jacob Dolagala, his uh, grandfather was actually on the 1959 SU team. Yeah, I did see that today. That's, um, that's super interesting. I, Central Connecticut, like all the Connecticut college, uh, like, lower-level college uh, teams have, like, weird pedigrees in terms of, like, turning out. Like, Central especially has, like, a number of guys who have gone on to be NFL head coaches hmm. and, like, high-level uh, college uh, coaches. It's 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 a strange thing. Um, obviously, that's where, like, Coach P came out of the Connecticut, like, pipeline. I don't know if he was at Central at any point, but he was in Connecticut. Um, you have uh, just a number, of, a number of people who are, are just from that, like, either Central or Southern or, um, like, University of New Haven. Like, it's just a, it's a strange thing. I don't know why it happens. Yeah, because I think, uh, yeah, because their coach was from New Haven and then went to Central. Is he yeah, a- and then Adazio was somewhere, and then you have, like, um, I'm trying to think of some, like, there's, uh, like, three or four other, like, NFL slash college head coaches that all coach at, like, lower-level Connecticut schools. Weird. Well, that, that that is the more you know, as as, as some would say. Um, so yeah, I guess starting with uh, you know, we won't go down the roster, but 
Uh, Delagala didn't do half bad last year. Uh, completed as a sophomore 60% of his passes. Uh, 2,934 yards. Uh, 15 touchdowns, 9 picks. He's not bad. Uh, I mean, you know, he's, he's adjusts accordingly for the fact that, you know, his best game was against D2 Bo- uh, Bowie State. Uh, you also have just the fact that, you know, the team still did pretty poorly. Um, but, yeah, despite not having, like, a ton of weapons around him, Dolagala seemed to do fairly well. His receivers were reasonably okay. Joey Fields, uh, their uh, now senior, you know, wide receiver, um, caught 46 passes, 732 yards last year. Like, he's somebody that you should definitely watch out for. Like, their top four receivers are all back. Um, the passing game was actually not too bad last year. I think it averaged, like, something like 260, 265, you know, yards a game. Like, it was pretty one-sided. I mean, they only, I think, ran for about 91 yards a game. But still, like, th- this is a team that can move the ball through the air, Dan, even if, even if you know, again, you have to make the necessary adjustments for opponents. Yeah, I mean, his numbers, his, his passing numbers are, are quite, are you know, were very good, especially for, like you said, a, a team that struggled overall. Um, I'd say if there is a positive, uh, I just looked up his rushing stats, and they're not much. Um, Hooray! He had, he had uh, 64 rushes for negative six yards last year. Uh, he did have five touchdowns, which means he, uh, I'm guessing they're, the, they're counting sacks as lost y- rushing yardage, uh, which means he took a, a good amount of sacks. Um, so he'll punch it in. Uh, he had a long of 10 yards last year. So he's, and he had nine fumbles, which is not great. Um, so he, he, he can be sacked. I, I'm assuming his offensive line wasn't very good. Yeah. Uh, he's not super mobile. He will punch it in from probably the one. I'm guessing PC has a fairly large touchdown total. Um, but it seems like a guy you can probably get after. Uh, and you don't have to worry about putting a, a QB spy in at all times. Like for yeah, some reason like we the, always end up with. The Villanova dude who like made our lives a living hell. Um, who was who was admittedly like the best player in FCS that year? Yeah, I know he was really good. Uh, this guy is not that, and um, I expect him to hang in the pocket a decent amount. And hopefully, uh, if our defensive line is uh, as you know sneaky, sneakily uh, interesting as we discussed last week in the uh, un- undead podcast and <laughs> zombie cast, I think there was a Syracuse.com article today about the. Uh, uh, yeah, there was actually. Game. I think people um, are kind of high on him. I mean, we had our defensive MVP, like, article. And, you know, everybody... I think most of us went with uh, Zaire Franklin, obvious choice for defensive MVP. A couple people went with Cordy. But then, um, I think it was Michael, went with uh, the uh, Josh Black-Kendall Coleman combo. But you're picking two MVPs. I like it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a ballsy <laughs> move. But you know what? Like... What do you can double your chances? I yeah, think that's good. Yeah, double your chances for one, but for two, like, <laughs> admittedly, both of those players probably, like, if one of them is successful, the other one probably is too. Yeah, I know I buy that for sure. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and claim that we like double our sack total, but um, I, I could, and again, this is something we talked about last week. Like, this, t- the makeup of this team and in the front seven, like, is definitely a little more geared toward. Uh, the old style of play now suddenly where there's a lot of guys who have high tech for loss numbers in the Juco ranks. I think that, you know, Franklin's going to be allowed to to kind of unload on some guys a little bit more. I think you're going to see more blitzes. Like, again, we're not going to turn into a shade for defense overnight, but I think this is going to be a team that that understands that one of its strengths is getting after the passer suddenly, and, and it's going to do a little bit more of that. So maybe we see a jump from, you know, a paltry 15 sacks last year to something in the 20 to 25 range this year, which 
could make a big difference, especially if there's some closer games. Yeah, it's actually funny because I think this is like uh, the personnel here would fit like a Schaefer defense pretty well. Um, not a ton of size up front, but a lot of speed, uh, a lot of linebackers. And then uh, part of that is that it is still like the bones of a Schaefer defense that was being built. Um, but even some of the new guys we brought in, like Alton Robinson, who uh, was set up one of the centerpieces of this article that, that Steve Bailey wrote today, um, a lot of guys that might come off the edge and do some damage. Um, the run, the running, uh, the defensive tackle situation is still a little disconcerting. We went into it pretty uh, at length last week based on the, the depth issues. So it wouldn't shock me to see a lot of teams just trying to uh, run all over us and. and that also helps to keep our offense off the field. But if we face a, a high passing team, like I, I'm, I am kind of uh, optimistic that we might be able to, to do some damage uh, coming off the edge. I think there's interesting talent there and there are guys who have played a decent amount there. So uh, we'll, we'll find out. And uh, our, our buddy at central will find out too, um, because if he's going to hang in the pocket, then it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting showcase. I think. Yeah. I fully expect us to unload on him in, in, in the first game and, you know, I, I, I'm not going to take that as any sort of, you know, harbinger for, for things to come. But, but I think if you see this team get a little more aggressive on, on defense, that could be a sign of something. I mean, and we said this last week, too, like both the scrimmages were a little more defensive focused. The spring game was very defensive focused. I don't know if it's because of familiarity or whatever, but um, I think this defense is going to not necessarily surprise people, but it's going to improve at, at a rate that definitely helps us out. Um, but speaking of defenses, uh, figured while we were here, I would mention the fact that uh, Central Connecticut State's defense is bad, um, very bad. It, it, it's it's yeah, it's really really bad. <laughs> like like allowed 150 yards a game on the ground, bad, and 250 yards per pa- like uh, passing per game, bad. Um, so I'm fully, and I, I mentioned this in the the uh, predictions article that'll go up after this. Um, I think Dungey's just gonna gonna let it loose, and I mean, you know, Babers isn't really gonna gonna pull out a lot of the complicated plays, and I don't think we're gonna try to do like a ton of of, of things that we wouldn't try out in practice. But I think based on how bad the secondary was and how bad they were getting after the quarterback, I feel like Dungey's gonna be able to do whatever the hell he wants. It seems that way based on the numbers. Now, obviously, they I think they return a lot of their starters, so they maybe do. those guys take a step forward. Um, I'm looking at the article that, that, that Syracuse.com put up today. They have 18 returning starters uh, in total. That's a lot. Um, so we always bring the, we always talk about this with Syracuse. Like sometimes that means you know guys will take a step forward. Sometimes that means oh you brought back a lot of the starters that were really bad last year. Congrats. Um, it's obviously we're, not either of us are experts on Central, so it's hard to tell which that'll be. Um, but I, again, I don't think it really matters. I think Dungey will have his way. I think one of our goals for this game should be uh, having Dungey out of the game by the second drive of the third quarter. Yeah, I buy that. I uh, I don't see this game la- like I think last year we were all a little bit frustrated. I think we were only up like what to twenty-one to seven at half last Something year. Something like that. Yeah. It was like just close enough where you left him in. I think hopefully we have this one in bed. I think you put Dungey out there to start the third quarter. You score a touchdown. Hopefully it's like a four touchdown game at that point, and then you put in Mahoney and let him do his thing. Yeah, I I'm fully okay with like just taking the breaks off at the beginning and just seeing how fast you can go and how much you can score, um, and, and and let's see how quickly we can get those starters off the field because uh, and this is something we talked about last week when we were going game by game like. Middle Tennessee is going to run. Middle Tennessee is going to test us, especially on the defensive end. The fresher we can be, even we already get the extra days rest, but 
the fresher we can be against the Blue Raiders, the better. Um, again, we, we should be okay with pace because we practice against it, but this needs to be, like, we need to be locked in on both sides of the ball. We need to be, you know, ready to run with them or else that game could be a lot closer than we want it. The closer that game, go, the closer that game is and the longer that uh, MTSU can hang around, uh, the, more, the more frightened I am about Scott Schaefer's familiarity with SU. Yeah, I, I, the nice thing about our offense, I think, is it's not one that you're too worried about, like, burning stuff that people, uh, you don't want people to see. Like, our, our, our play structure is, like, fairly simple. Um, it's a lot of variations off of the same base, like, looks. So um, I think we can go in, we can, we can run the stuff we want to run, we can hopefully put some board, uh, points on the board without too much an issue, and then we can get out of there and, and get some deft eyes and looks. And that would also be great because, like, we – we uh, want to keep on building up guys along the offensive line since we had so many injury issues there last year. Um, getting like the second string lineman some looks would be great. Uh, seeing who we have along both the defensive line and at the cornerback spot, which we've talked about, we have a lot of bodies there. We're just not quite sure who the right bodies are yet. Um, would be great. Uh, so there, are, I, I'm very glad we have a hopefully less stressful FCS team. And obviously, you don't want to we don't want to just count it as a win yet because we've seen how these go. Um, not that we've lost one, but we've seen very frustrating ones like every other year, it feels like. Um, but this one should be among the easier ones that we've had, and I want to see as many guys that are not redshirting play as possible um, because uh, I think this depth chart is still really feeling feeling itself out. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the guys you saw on the second line, um, like Nakim Johnson, uh, Sherrod Johnson, Obviously, I really want to see what Aaron Cervais can do in his first action. Sam Heckel, like, you know, because you mentioned the line. Like, th- these are all guys that, that we really need to, to get some burn for. I think Babers is conscious of that and, and would love, based on the schedule. Like, if you're going to get these guys minutes, now's the time. Um, and if you're going to burn the shirt anyway, might as well, you know, get them on the field and, and, and contributing in a real game action Um in the second half of this one against CCSU. And, and like you said, it's not to get ahead of ourselves. It's not to make assumptions here, but uh, I, I do like, I do like our odds to put a lot of these kids in um, and, and really, really get a better feel for, for what's on this roster and how they're able to, to function uh, in their first year operating here. Obviously we already know what we're getting with a lot of these, you know, second year guys um, in Baber's scheme. So it'd be nice to, to get something quantifiable from some of the other guys too. Yeah, and I have to, like, to amend something I said. Um, I, I like, I'm sure we'll see some Mahoney if things go well. I would also like to see some Red Skull Pepper. I'd be cool with, like, somebody Somebody mentioned in the comments, like, to put in, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, well, Clayton, nice. no, Clayton Welch. Yes. yes. Uh, I mean, just at all the quarterbacks. I mean, have we, is, I, I now am forgetting, we haven't had that rule amendment yet with how many games you can play before just automatically getting the injury redshirt, right? Correct. Okay, so that's still, that's still like, in the works? Yeah, so that'll probably be, if it, if it gets enacted, it'll probably be for 2018. Okay, cool. Because then I was going to say, I was pretty sure that was the case. Um, Throwing DeVito. It would be obvious, yeah, Tommy DeVito. And I'm, I'm still interested to see. Like, I would not be shocked if Tommy DeVito played and Babers like, we're just going to see what we got. But it's just... I don't think I'm supporting it. I just no. wouldn't be shocked. Because you know this fan base. Oh, I know the fan base. Because the second Tommy DeVito, like, like say, Dungy stat line's, like, fine, and then Tommy DeVito goes 7 for 8 for 135 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, against, like, a demoralized <laughs> Central Michigan. Against, <laughs> against the, the second string uh, stuck with Connecticut Blue Devils. Um, we're going to see, like, 
not only should DeVito start, but he should also uh, be the head uh, coach. He should actually he should actually not play college football next year so that he can go to the NFL. Yeah, he should he should sit the next two years and we're just gonna have some like crazy like infight like fighting within the brains of Syracuse fans about oh, like God. <laughs> Make it stop. He should win the Heisman and then uh, go play in Canada for two years. Right. Uh, and then come back to Syracuse somehow for his senior year and then go to the NFL. Oh, God. All right. On that note, <laughs> Dan, your, uh, your final score prediction for this one. Um, I'll go Syracuse 49, Central 3. All right. I am going uh, Syracuse 45. Uh, I'm going Central 10. I think that touchdown comes in garbage time. Um, the, the waning minutes, so I, I think this game ends at half. That's fair. I probably should, I probably should give them a touchdown, but I don't want to, so I'm going to stick with three. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't blame you there. All right. Um, so, Dan, I think we can wrap up here. I feel like there's going to be plenty of, of longer, more involved podcasts during the season, so we might as well not burn ourselves out right away. We also did like an hour of 20 and then both had mental breakdowns last week. So That's true. <laughs> uh, that was the thing that happened. I am also... Uh, I don't know when, either Thursday afternoon or Friday, I am doing a Facebook Live thing to preview this game as well. Um, so I want to save some of the, uh, the nuggets of, of intrigue for that. Um, so folks, bring your questions. I'll, I'll announce that on social media too. So there'll be, there'll be much more warning than just this podcast throwaway that half of you won't even hear. Um, but yeah, Dan, thank you, uh, thank you for joining as always. Much obliged. Yes, uh, shout out to new editor, uh, Lewis. Thank you, Lewis, who is uh, who's making this 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 podcast the quality you guys have been clamoring for for years, and we didn't feel you deserved until recently. Yes, the the podcast quality they've been clamoring for, which is like B minus. <laughs> 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 On that note, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Troy Noon's and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service you listen to, and go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.